We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone. I'm Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. On Perpetual Chess, I have weekly conversations with the chess world's best players, promoters, and educators about their lives, careers, current projects, and best practices. Perpetual Chess is brought to you through the generosity of its Patreon and PayPal supporters. For more information, go to perpetualchesspod.com. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. Uh, before we get to this week's episode, just a quick note that there will be no Perpetual Chess next week due to the holidays, but I'm already working on some great guests in January, so I will catch you guys soon. Uh, with that out of the way, I'd like to get to this week's uh, edition, and it's another Adult Improver episode, although this time with a twist. So this week's guest is not technically an adult. He is 17 years old. But there were a couple reasons that I thought that he would still make a good guest to talk about chess improvement. Number one is that we haven't really represented the teenage demographic that much. When we talk to teenagers, usually it's like super talents um, or, you know, people who were um, grandmasters in their teens, but not uh, players just below that level who are still pushing hard and, and improving at chess. And it can be a tough time for teenagers to stick with chess because they get busier, they have more distractions. And when they play in tournaments, they often play either people younger than them or older than them. Um, 
So that was one reason that I wanted to hear from someone like our guest. And the other reason is that this particular guest, Vinesh Ravori, has had a meteoric rise. He's gained about a thousand rating points in about three years. So, you know, we adults like me who are listening, our brains may not fire quite as quickly as his, but I'm still making an educated guess here that we're going to be able to learn from some of his study methods. So I think it'll be an interesting conversation. And with that out of the way, I just want to introduce USCF master, San Jose hacker in the Pro Chess League, Vinesh Ravori. Vinesh, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Sure. Yeah, I'm excited. I mean, uh, so we launched this series where we take a break from just interviewing chess announcers and grandmasters and chess presenters and stuff like that. And we we go we dig deeper on chess improvement. And I think it was your friend Sanat Singhai suggested you fairly early when I was looking for guests. And at the time I was more focused on adults. But as I said, I think this is that you're you represent uh, a perspective that we haven't heard that much. So um We've got a lot to cover, but why don't we start just by you giving sort of a few uh, broad brushstrokes of uh, your background? Yeah, well, I started chess at a really early age, actually. I started when I was eight years old, but I just wasn't interested in it. So I was playing other sports like volleyball, table tennis, and swimming. But um, So I quit chess like momentarily, and I kind of got back into it a few years later because my parents pushed me into it. <laughs> and... Uh, it, it kind of stuck for a little bit, and I played a Cal State here and there. But we eventually moved to India after my sixth grade, and chess kind of stopped for me right there again. And then we we had a coach that taught uh, on the bottom floor of our apartment. And that's when I kind of got Is back. this in India or back in the States? No, this was in India. Okay. So we had a coach. He was around 1,200 level, I'd say. But he taught on the ground floor of our apartment, and again, I was forced by my parents to play chess. So I, I reluctantly, reluctantly kind of went into it, but I ended up liking it for some reason. I have no idea what went in my head, but something clicked, and I started liking chess. And and then from like 13 and a half onwards, I got a serious coach, and I was I was doing tactics every single day, and then came back to the U.S., and I had this huge jump. Yeah, so I'm going to link to Vinesh's USCF rating graph in the show notes. It is a sight to behold for listeners. I mean, it's really, uh, it's something that uh, I'm certainly jealous of. I mean, it's basically just a vertical line showing the last three years of your chess. So uh, one question, and of course, we're going we're gonna to dig deep into this. But one question, Vinesh, is um, do you feel like you were underrated at the beginning? Like, so you went literally over a thousand points from 1200 to 2200 so do you think you started out underrated or that it's really an accurate representation of all the improvement that you've made? Right. I mean, when I came back to the U.S., I was 14 years old. So I had a few months of practice before I actually got back in here and started playing some actual U.S. chess tournaments. But uh, I was like 600 when I started here. And my guess was I was around 1400 level. And I still remember my dad and I talking. We were like, I hope I at least get 1600 so I could be like somewhere with the other guys and not too far behind. Okay. So I was definitely uh, underrated, but not as underrated as I would have expected. Okay. Yeah. And just to give a little more background, I think we mentioned this, but you live in the Bay Area. Um, yeah. You there's a pretty vibrant chess community. I mean, we've had Kostya Kovutsky on a couple times, of course, who I know you've taken a couple classes with. And, uh, you know, we had Judith from Bay Area Chess, who, mm -hmm. you know, you uh, know well. So um, I'm sure that helps. 
But yeah, being superior definitely helped my chess because there's like weekly tournaments here. Yeah, and um, so what else? So you got into it at 13 and a half. Uh, so this time it really took hold. First of all, what do you think was different? Like, why do you think it was that it didn't resonate with you when you were younger? And then you started to play and suddenly you, you had that spark. I think uh, when I was younger, I just didn't notice the depth. And chess was kind of that boring, nerdy game when I was younger, right? But now... now How it's dare you? Of, it's more... <laughs> yeah, it's definitely more entertaining now. There, there's just a lot more intricacies that you understand once you're older. It's interesting to hear your perspective, because there's this well-known coach from England, Richard James, who I follow on Twitter, and he's written some great chess books, like The Complete Chess Addict. And he writes a lot about how he thinks that uh, scholastic-level players... Uh, get introduced to chess too young and that it can actually be a turnoff. Um, so mm-hmm. we've, uh, I think I see some merit in what he's saying, but I also sort of see the other side because um, I, you know, kids, uh, they, they're achieving great things, obviously, starting with people like Christopher Yu, who lives, right. you know, in, in your backyard, so to say. So I see both sides of it, but it's interesting. You're definitely one sort of example of someone who maybe, as you say, when you were super young, you, you weren't really able to pre- appreciate the game's intricacies, but then later on you were able to. So right. anyway, long digression. But so once you were, once you did have the passion and you said you had a coach, so what was your regimen like? Well, I did a lot of tactics, really. I did no focus on my openings. Like, um, my opening was very less. I just knew one line, and it was one setup against everything. Huh. But, well, well, we got to hear what it was. I hope we're not revealing too much of your prep. But <laughs> No, I don't use it anymore. Well, okay. it was the Koli Zucker tour back then. And basically, it was just a different setup against the Kings Indian, different setup against Greenfield, and different setup against D5. But they all were just very very similar and it was just a way of getting out of the opening without completely losing i yeah and i mean i hate to beat a dead horse because i've talked about this before to regular listeners but i think my i agree with that philosophy i think that's a great approach um you know at least up to 16 1700 level how long did you stick with that approach oh i stuck with it till i was 2100 and then i plateaued for a while and then i changed it okay so even longer um yeah so, okay, so you did tons and tons of tactics. Um, like, how much per day? Uh, well, when I was in... When, back then, I had a lot more time. So I would I would do at least two hours. So I would get through, like, 60 tactics a day and over-the-board tactics, not like chess.com tactics. Oh, interesting. So yeah. you, from puzzle books or what? Yeah, like, I would get puzzle books. I would just set up a board and set up the puzzle and then do it, check my answer, and repeat. That's interesting because one of the issues I was looking, or not issues, but topics I was looking forward to talking to you about is um, we've had a lot of, you know, we obviously we've had um, people from all ages basically um, on this show, but you're one of the younger ones. So I would say that you're firmly of the computer generation in terms of when you were born, but it sounds like you're a bit of a purist in how you approached your tactics. Well, I think they, they both have their like own merits. The computer tactics are more pattern recognition. You'll just never get like the depth that like a Deveretsky problem will provide on a chess.com tactics trainer. Yeah. It's, it's kinda like chess.com tactics trainers and Lee Chess and all these websites, they're just they're really good pattern recognitions. Like during the game you have to realize when you have an opportunity and that's exactly why those tactics is, exist. 
So what were some, you mentioned Dvoretsky, but what were some particularly memorable uh, resources you used when you were um, learning from tactics books? Um, when I had a coach, he, he gave me a book that was, uh, it was just a bunch of pages, like kind of stapled together. It had no author and I would just take tactics from that, but really any combination book would work. And how long would you spend on a given problem? Um, i say if it's if it was a really difficult problem, I'd say about 10 minutes. Okay, but do you know going in it's difficult or you just, you're not solving it so you stick with it? Well, so, some tactics books actually have like a difficulty range and sometimes by the author you can tell. Like if it's Zavretsky, you know it's going to be very difficult. Right. And you know if it's just like a basic combinations book and then you're on like problem number 100, you know it's not going to be that impossible. Okay, so two hours a day, hardcore tactics with your board out. Um, yeah. And at what point did you start? I mean, obviously, I'm sure you're playing in tournaments and, you know, sort of immersing yourself in a chess culture as this is going on. But was there a point where you started to um, sort of diversify your study regimen? Um, I'd say up till like 2100, it was about the same. Wow. And then, and then I kind of hit that plateau, like 2100 to 2200. It's very diff- like that plateau where everyone just stays there for years. And at that point, I had to start doing something else, like working on endgame puzzles and maybe learning a new opening to get some new ideas because I'm kind of in that Zuckertort shell at that point. So huh. It's interesting to me that you, 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 know, you had such a sort of 100% sheer tactical approach, but your opening repertoire from the way you described it was kind of boring. So <laughs> did you feel like that inhibited your ability to get uh, positions that, that favored the skill set you were developing? Well, um, Zuckertor, it, it's definitely boring, but I wouldn't call it as boring as like a London system. So I, I feel like there, there's still some scope when you're playing lower rated players because they always blunder. And when you're playing lower rated, tac- uh, games are just decided with tactics, not right. really like slow positional games. So it didn't really matter. A blunder will happen eventually. Okay. And did you emphasize, so you mentioned that you're basically capitalizing on your opponent's mistakes. And um, that another theme of this show has been obviously that chess is a game of mistakes. Um, hat tip to uh, Chess Explained for, for, for that uh, saying. Um, so we, was it a point of emphasis for you to limit your own mistakes? Or was it just tactics, 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 you know, play naturally? And and someone will um, make a mistake. So in other words, was it an explicit goal when you played to limit your own mistakes? Well, uh, usually when you do tactics, you're already kind of realizing when you're making a mistake. Because not only do you see his mistakes, you see when you're about to blunder. So already your blunder rate kind of goes down. But it's definitely a weight sort of he will blunder situation, but also playing aggressively whenever you have the chance. Okay. And okay, so getting back to, I mean, I feel like we've just blown through so many rating points to get to take you from from 1300 to 2100. And I'm sure there's a lot of listeners who like, you know, just would be happy to get to 2100. So before we move on to how you what the adjustments you made to to move up from the 2100 plateau, I just want to make sure. So there's no other secrets you're you're hiding from us in terms of uh, what your regimen was. It was basically just strictly tactics. Yeah, it was just everyday tactics. I I didn't even do that much endgame and absolutely no opening, just tactics. tactics. Wow. And you, you were working with the coach at this time? 
Yeah, I had a I had a coach at that time when I was in when I was in India. I had a coach, and early like early fourteen years old, I had a coach, and then I kind of dropped my coach later on because the timing schedule wasn't really fitting from US to India. Okay, and in the period where you did have a coach, I imagine it wasn't just tactics. Like at that, I'm sure that. Was your coach giving you a different perspective? Yeah, well, basically with my coach, uh, I told you we had a very like small repertoire. Basically, we would go over that a little bit in a few classes, like maybe 10 classes. We would just finish that setup, right? Just learning the typical ideas in that three setups. And then we would do problems and thematic ideas in middle game. Okay. Sounds reasonable. Okay, so now I now I feel like we can move on to your twenty one hundred sort of plateau and and what's your rating now? About what is it? It's about twenty two fifteen. Okay, that's what I less the last I'd seen, but I know you uh you active kids players. The ratings fly all over the place, so I just want. Yeah, I've been a little bit less active this year. I've only played uh, maybe ten tournaments overall. Okay, that's still pretty active. By uh, I mean, it's still a lot, but in the past six months, it's probably only been two or three. A lot of that happened in the beginning of the year. Yeah, and I know we've we've uh, been messaging a little bit, and I know you've been uh, applying to colleges and stuff like that, right. all that glorious stuff. So we'll we'll touch on that at the end. But but let's um let's stick to chess for now. So you get to twenty one hundred, and you're having trouble advancing, uh, and it's time to re- revamp your repertoire. So what did you do? Um, so a few things. I first of all started working on endgame studies. I started incorporating studies in general, a lot more studies into my routine. And then um, my repertoire, it just wasn't working out because, as you said, it's the barrier. So we see familiar faces all the time and people start preparing for you. When you play the Zucker tour and it's one setup, it's very easy to get prepared for an outplayed straight out of the opening. So you have all these draws with lower rateds or losses against higher rateds and just not getting any chances. So I had to switch to something more main and something that offered me more dynamic chances out of the opening itself. Okay. And speaking of chess openings, Vinesh, we are going to take a quick break and we are going to tell you about our sponsor. This week's Adult Improver edition of Perpetual Chess is brought to you by Chessable. Chessable uses learning science to help you improve your chess as efficiently as possible. It's a great way to remember more ideas faster, even for a middle-aged dad like me. Chessable has interactive books and courses for all skill levels, and its use of spaced repetition is helpful for learning opening lines, tactical patterns, and end games alike. I've got some new students of mine working their way through Susan Polgar's books, while I myself have been checking out Forcing Moves by Charles Hurtan after hearing it recommended by a few Perpetual Chess guests. What's more, Chessable is an open platform where anyone can publish their courses, and they've paid out hundreds of thousands of dollars in commissions to their partner authors. They have big plans for 2019, so if you're a student, an author, or a coach, be sure to check out Chessable.com. So, Vanesh, once you decided that you needed some harder-hitting openings, which ones did you uh, adapt? So I looked at the Catalan for mm-hmm. a while, and I looked at a little bit more unorthodox lines as well. Like, uh, there was a book, I forget by who, but it was called E3 Poison, and it was just a repertoire where you played one E3, and it was just all un- unorthodox lines, basically, but... They're all playable, and they offer you reasonable chances. And are you still playing that? Yeah, I'm still playing these lines. I interchange between, like, D4 and B3 and that as well. Okay. And 
I mean, I, I'm ap- asking you openly about your openings, but I assume any any frequent opponents listening will sort of know anyway. Um, yeah, they'll know, and I don't really mind when you're when you're like switching between three openings. That's a lot of work for them. <laughs> yeah, and now that you're at the level of 2250, uh, how important do you think your openings are in terms of uh, dictating the results of your games? Well, I, I just think they're still just as important. Um, like, you just have to get a playable position out of the opening and just not lose. But if you're playing a kind of inferior line, like the Zuckertor, and it's easy to prepare for, you're always going to get a bad position out of the opening. Like, Catalan is not going to get me some crazy winning advantage or 10-move victory, but it's still getting me out of the opening if I know what I'm doing. Right, yeah, and Catalan, of course, was one of the openings that uh, Alpha Zero trotted out there, so it can't it can't be right. too bad. <laughs> so are you, uh, with this sort of mild, somewhat revamped approach to openings, are you learning much theory, or is it more just trying to learn the ideas? Um, well, I look at games, and that's pretty much all I do. And even that, it's before games. My my even current routine, I still don't spend time on openings at all. I, I just do it right before the game. I pull out chess space, I look for their games, and I see what I'm going to play. If they're bad against a certain line, I'll look at a few Grandmaster games in that line, and I'll play it. That's it. It strikes me as a very mature approach for a 17-year-old, because I'm a little bit outside of the box, because... I, you know, I'm a scholastic chess teacher and even, and most of my students are a lot less experienced and not as strong as you, but there's this sort of, um, gravitational pull towards wanting to feel well-versed in the openings. And it just seems like you had sort of a, a unique, um, perspective about, um, de-emphasizing that. So do you have any guesses what sort of framed that philosophy for you? Well, I think it was just being confident in your ability to outplay them in the middle game. Because if if you can, if you're pretty sure you can outplay a lower rated, you really don't have to worry about getting out of the opening with a big edge or anything like that. That's a that's a good insight. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and you feel like even at this point, it's do you is it is the fact that you're still not spending a huge amount of time on your, well, first of all, you're applying for colleges, busy, et cetera, et cetera, but. <laughs> Is it how much of it do you think is personal preference in terms of like pursuing the aspects of chess that you find most interesting versus really like optimizing your results? Well, I, I personally find um, opening study very boring, like looking at this theory and all that. I, I like playing games or either studying tactics or doing tactics trainers, puzzle rush, that kind of stuff. Gotcha. But, yeah. How's your, how are your puzzle rush skills? What's your high score? Uh, my highest is 42. Okay, pretty good, yeah. I'm trying to bring it up. Yeah, but, that, um, puzzle, like, puzzle Rush hits me where it hurts because I can really feel that I'm not as sharp as I used to be when I try to do it. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of pattern recognition. I feel like the more Puzzle Rush you do, the better you get at it. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't. I've probably done 10 total. But oh, yeah, that's nothing. Yeah, it was uh, mostly, I mean, it was super fun and addictive, but frustrating because I, you know, I was in the low 30s and... Uh, Wanted higher. <laughs> 30 is still a good score. Oh, that that's nice of you. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So, yeah. So now you're into Puzzle Rush are you, and you're applying to colleges and, you know, busy with who knows what else. So how much time are you finding for chess these days? Uh, these days, it's unlucky if I get 30 minutes, honestly. But do you try, like, do you make a conscious effort to study? I mean, is it still like a serious goal? 
Yeah, it's still a goal. And uh, now that my second semester is rolling around, I'm done with applications. My grades don't matter as much. I'm definitely going to start playing more chess. Like I'm going to get my goal is to get FM before college at least. Cool. Yeah, that that seems seems doable based on on what you've said, although you you have to pick and choose your tournaments a little bit, I guess. Right. Yeah. Um, So are are you still still mostly doing tactics? It's still ta- it's still tactics and some endgame study. I my opening just really doesn't uh, fit into my schedule at all. Like even my last tournament, I saw someone playing the Stonewall Dutch, and I just played it because I thought it would be great. So okay. <laughs> so and then like even if you're lost, I I don't really mind getting a s- slightly worse position out of the opening because I'm pretty sure I can outplay them later. And what uh. What resources do you use to to um, find studies, chess studies to study? <laughs> uh, I had a database named Watala Studies, and there was a book called uh, I think it was Palbenko's Biography. Yeah. Okay. Do you do you know how to spell that? The not Palbenko, the uh, the Watalis Studies. Yeah, yeah, I do. Can you spell it for us? W O T A W A. W O T A W A. Okay, because that's also been a theme in terms of uh, interviewing strong players on this show. I, I think that um, this ha- this show has pointed um, a lot of um, a lot of people working to approve in the direction of studies, which uh, at least for me wasn't um, probably wasn't as big a point of emphasis as it or a, like a, I wasn't aware how important it was. Um, yeah, they're they're different. They're difficult, so it's it's difficult to get yourself to do them. But um, it, it requires a lot of thought because the ideas are always very unorthodox. Yeah, and what was um like? What's your approach? Do you have a certain set amount of time to study them, or do you try to just keep grinding until you get the answer? Um, it really depends. Like if if I do a puzzle for like thirty minutes and I feel like I'm actually finding lines that are meaningful then I'll keep going at it because I might be close to the answer. But if I'm on the same square I started on, I'm just probably going to look at the answer. Okay. And then if you look at the answer, are you making a conscious effort to sort of assimilate the pattern? Or is it just like you look and that's it and on to the next one? Well, I'll look and I'll be like, oh, uh, yeah, obviously I missed that. It seems so obvious after you see the answer. But yeah, the pattern kind of stays, I guess. Okay. All right, and Vinesh, one other thing I want to do is do sort of a speed round. Round that when we do these adult improver interviews, I kind of ask about various various chess activities, and I'm going to want you to give your opinion about how effective, how um, beneficial they are to one's chess improvement. But before we do that, I want you to tell me about your experience uh, in the Pro Chess League. So uh, Sanat Singhai gave me a nice little um, background paragraph. Um, about your sort of a little bio, basically, of your your chess mm-hmm. experience, and he mentioned that you you had some good results in it. Oh yeah, that, that was a well. Pro Chess League was great. Like I got to play alongside Mamed Yarov, Mamedov, Daniel Narditsky, Izoria. So I got to play aside alongside some really strong GMs. And going in, I was pretty scared because I was I'm the lowest rate in the Pro Chess League by a lot. And even when I played the games, I think the lowest rate opponent I played was like 2100 feet day when I was 1900 feet day. Yeah. Although I'm so, guessing you got cherry picked because you were underrated FIDE. Is that a. Right, right. De- definitely on. At that point, it wasn't too underrated because that was a while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But it was it was definitely still a little bit lower, but not like 2100, 2200. It's probably 2000 at best. Okay. So, but anyway, on with the story. So you're you're nervous. I mean, understandably. I mean, it's like a global stage, basically. For yeah, I'm playing alongside the number two player in the world. You don't want to embarrass yourself, right? So yeah, I was nervous, but it it turned out to be really well. I got plus one in the first Super Saturday I played. Five out of uh, eight. Yeah, five out of eight. And as a nineteen hundred, I overall had a twenty three thirty performance. So that was a really good pro chess league by me. That's awesome. And what's your like? Do you analyze the games? What like what did you take from the overall experience? I guess it boosted your confidence. Um, I mean, taught me preparation was really important. Actually, I only started preparing very heavily for games after the pro chess league because I realized that. I don't have very many games in the database, while these players I'm playing have hundreds of games in their database. So I really got to like dig into their repertoire while they had no idea what was coming for them. So that was, that was a really good plus point for me, and it got me more involved into preparation, I guess, before games. That makes sense. And I mean, I know that that someone like Mamad Yarov is uh, not located in the Bay Area, but some of the other pl- players you mentioned, Azoria and... Um, Narrow, I apologize. I always butcher <laughs> Daniel's name. I apologize because he's an amazing chess player and a great representative for chess. But please, once again, can you help me with this pronunciation of uh, Naroditsky? Naroditsky. I'm sorry if if you're listening or if your friends tell you about this, Daniel. But anyway, um, yeah. So did you get to like did? Being on this team give you sort of more access to players like that at all? I mean, I'm, you might take classes with people like that anyway, but were there any uh, social um, gatherings with uh, with these players? We didn't have very many social gatherings, and there was a small group where we talked, but it was mostly actually during the match, so we could find the situation and match strategy and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But I've had, like, uh, Kostya send me opening lines before games for help. So I got to see some of their preparation as well. Okay. And with the Pro Chess League starting next month, do you know if you'll be um, involved this year at all? Yeah, I, I will be involved. They asked me to play again. But this year, I don't know if I'll be as good as last year. I'm definitely more rusty. Yeah. And what's your FIDE rating now? It's 2050. Okay, so still some value there, I guess. But Yeah, I mean, last year, I even though it was 1900, they counted me as a 2000 because that was the minimum so okay so not that big a difference it's not that big of a difference and what was the uh, like um i mean we're going to touch on this when we do the sort of lightning round about chess improvement generally but what was it like playing the pro chess league time controls um well i played mostly the games that i played were 10 plus 5 i think rather than the 15 10 and i i am better at faster time controls i think but the pro chess league time controls Mainly because I play a lot of Blitz and Bullet as well. It it didn't feel that quick or that bad, really. Okay. Um, that's interesting. Yeah, and I look forward to seeing how you guys do. Do you? So who else? Is, is it you bringing back the same team, basically? Do you know who else is on the, the oh, San Jose we, we Hackers? Okay. Um, he's in the mechanics now. Oh, and, blasphemous. But we did get Enrico Sevilliano, who's another local GM. Oh, okay. And we still have Mamed Yarov and Mamedov, although I'm not sure how active they can be this year. Okay. And uh, I'm not sure about Christian either. He's 50-50. So we lost a few GMs, but uh, we gained Enrico as well. That's Christian Carilla? Yeah. Okay. 
All right. Well, it'll be interesting to watch. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the league generally. It's always a lot of fun. Um, uh, speaking, of, I mean, I've mentioned Sanat Sanghai a couple times. He's a supporter of the podcast and he actually, he also sent in a question for you. So, mm-hmm. so <laughs> he could have asked you this himself, <laughs> I guess, but you know, better for the audience to be able to hear it. So Sanat asked, what's an unusual training method or strategy that helped you? Unusual. I mean, I guess it's unusual to be using your board in this day and age. Hmm. Not that unusual, because I talk to a lot of sort of, I mean, I, as I mentioned, I talk to players from all generations, but a lot of players, I would say somewhere, the line of demarcation is around the age of 35, where a lot of people say, no, you can't do tactics on the computer. You must set up the board. You have to have the feel of it. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it helps for sure. It, it, online doesn't give you that concentration you can get during the game. Right. But I mean, it's interesting perspective that, that you say that, it, that the fact that you consider it unusual is meaningful because like that means amongst your peers, it's it's unusual. Oh, yeah. Amongst my peers, I see that everyone's doing chess.com or Lee Chess. Nobody's doing all over the board. Yeah, although I think I found, I mean, you do have a pretty good rating on your tactics trainer. I think I found your chess.com account, right? You're like, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do that. As I said, it's still good for its own purpose, like uh, during uh, pattern recognition. It's really good for that. Mm-hmm. So I still do that occasionally. Okay. And do you have like a smartphone? Is it like you do it when you're waiting for the bus or whatever? Or... Yeah, stuff, stuff like that, basically. Okay. And what's the chess? So I mentioned in the sort of lead to this show that. As a teenager, some, I mean, now I feel like you're sort of at the level where it would be, um, I wouldn't recommend quitting chess at this moment, especially yeah. especially given the, the, the rate of improvement you've shown. Um, mm-hmm. But what's what's the community like generally? Do you have uh, kids your age that, that, are, that retain interests and that you're able to hang out with at tournaments and stuff? Yeah, well, I definitely have friends that I'm able to hang out with during tournaments. Although I have had friends that, like, they get NM and then they're just not interested anymore. And it was more of just, I want that title and then I'm going to quit. Right. So there's been both. There's people that are genuinely interested. There's people that start interested and then just want to get over with it and get the title and leave. Okay, interesting. Huh. Yeah, I mean, it's... And those people, they wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if they they come back to chess at some point in the future but yeah, it, it's just it's probably a fair period of frustration because that 2100 barrier i know people that have been stuck there for five years and just want to like get nm and get over with it huh i wonder how much of that is psychological yeah it's, it's difficult to tell because they're not bad players but something's going wrong during the game yeah huh uh, another question for you sanat do do you consider yourself talented at chess I mean, I just called you Sanat. Sorry. Hey. Um, Sorry, probably, Vanessa. Probably not talented. I'd say I'm a little bit tricky. That's it. Interesting. So when you were like, did you ever have a coach tell you or tell your parents that you were talented, that you're aware of? Um, I, I've had coaches tell me that I was improving very quickly and I was very interested, but nobody's really said you're talented or anything. Huh. And I guess your early ratings sort of support that. I mean, yeah, I mean, interested is one thing, but there's a lot of other people who are a lot better than me, even my age, like, um, I can't even name all of them. There's so many. Right. But I mean, what, but you started later, I would guess. Right. I I did start much later. Yeah. And do you think that you have, um, an unusually good memory or no? 
No, no, I have a terrible memory. Really? That's interesting. <laughs> Even for chess I, I stuff? Again, like, I don't really like focus on opening, so I don't think my memory matters too much. Okay, but uh, in terms of the games you played, do you rem- like if I ask you, if you played someone six months ago and then you're playing them again, will you remember details of that game going into Oh, yeah, it? definitely. I'll remember what they played and how the game went and all that. Okay, and do you remember like details of basically all your games or do some of them kind of... Um, like, um, if you ask me the lower rated when I was like 1400, I wouldn't remember it. But if you ask me from when I was like 2100, I'll definitely remember. Right. All my games. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah I'm because just curious honestly, because like the level of play is also different. So you just retain it a little bit more. Yeah. I'm just curious because I mean, a, a lot of, like I, I mentioned myself and a lot of people would love to, uh, to show the rate of improvement that you've shown. So it, it's just, um, right. It's it's interesting to me to try to sort of dissect to to what extent uh, you have sort of a a um, some sort of talent or uh, predilection for. I mean, I think uh, some of that helps because I enter my games into chess space after like tournaments, right? So I, I think it helps a little bit to reinforce that. Okay, and yeah, actually, we'll get to that in a second. So let's go ahead and go through this list. So the way it works is I'm going to list a bunch of chess stuff you know and you're gonna on a scale of one to ten tell me how important you think it is for your chess improvement based on your experiences um so number one is having a coach um i'd say a five okay i don't want to throw shade at any of your coaches you know that's that's not the goal of this exercise no it's actually one of my coaches actually told me this themselves they're like a coach is, is just a guide, but what you actually do is what matters. Yeah, that's what I tell my students too. I mean, if you have a coach, you're probably, if you have a student or a coach, you're probably seeing them, you know, one hour a week. So one hour right. a week, you're just not going to make that much improvement. So yeah, they just give work and tell you what to do. But at the end of the day, it's actually if you do it. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, next up, uh, Blitz. Blitz, huh? Well, it's very fun. I don't know how important <laughs> for sure. improvement it is. It might be, I'd say, a four. Okay. And our, what's your general philosophy? When you, when you have like a blitz binge, are you analyzing the games or just play it and forget well, it? When I'm on a blitz binge, I don't analyze games because like either I'm on the high of winning or it's like losing streak. <laughs> so I just keep clicking play no matter what it is. Okay. And but you're not going back to look at the games later. If, if there's a specific opening that I really find interesting and I have no idea, like I'll look at it after the game, but other than opening, I won't go into the depth of the middle game or end game unless it was particularly interesting. Okay. That's reasonable. Um, yeah. And what about, do you play any bullet chess? Yeah, I play Bullet. <laughs> okay, and that's just basically pure fun, I'm guessing. Yeah, but Bullet's fun, and there's there's some skill involved, but a lot of it is mouse. Okay, and how about watching elite tournaments? Do you follow top-level chess? I definitely follow top-level chess. I don't analyze them in the depth that I probably should be doing, but I, I just look at results. So for for me, at least, that's probably a 4 too. Okay, and are you so if there's a top level tournament going on and you're at your computer, how likely are you to sit there and watch the coverage just out of curiosity? Oh, the whole thing, I, I really can't. Like, yeah. I, I just find it very difficult focusing on the whole thing. If a coverage is like eight hours long, I might watch 30 minutes at most. Okay, and you, if it's a critical moment, you might turn in, tune in. Right. 
and like so if they're blitzing out moves or something and it looks really interesting, I'm going to watch sit there and watch. But it's very difficult to watch them analyze all of the lines. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's, I mean, for me, it's a lot of, and I, maybe for you too, but for me, a lot of it is um, life circumstances that, that forbid me from sitting there and watching a game for six hours. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's a, uh, it's a big, it's a big time investment. Right. Um, okay. Uh, what about, I mean, obviously we've touched on this a lot, but what about studying openings? Um, uh, it's, it's still important. So I'll give it a five. Okay. And is there a level below which you would give it a lower? Yeah. Lower I'd score? say if you're below like 1600, that you could play whatever you feel like, just don't get, don't like blunder pieces in the opening release. So I'd probably give it a lower score if you were below like 1600 level. Okay. Yeah, I agree. Um, okay. Exercise. Um, well, I don't do very much, of <laughs> but, uh, I, I'd say it's, it's a six. Cause honestly, when I, when I do exercise before tournaments, I have significantly better results. Interesting. And are you, do you have, um, you mentioned that you're a good fast player, but do you have a preference between the like all weekend five hour game tournaments and sort of, a a uh, rapid tournament well when when like two years ago or so i had a preference for rapid and quicker time controls nowadays i like the longer time control even though i don't use all the time it just seems a little bit more i i feel like i have more time to consider those critical moments really okay yeah and i and since you're working on your fide rating um right. it, it makes sense i mean it it's a good yeah. good thing to emphasize anyway. Um, all right. What about studying end games? Um, six. Okay. Um, and what, what's your method for studying end games? Uh, I do studies and I have read like, I've read one like actual theoretical book on end, end games. It was, it was end game manual by Shershevsky, I think. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the only end game book I've read in terms of theory, but tactics I've done like Devretsky and like study databases and all that stuff. Okay. And what about studying GM games generally? Um, I, I only study GM games for openings. So I'd probably give that a five as well. Okay. And online videos? Oh, like a one. Wow. I don't watch those. <laughs> There's so many good ones. I'm surprised. Yeah, I watch them for entertainment, like Twitch streams when Nakamura streams and all that. I watch those, but I, I genuinely don't think those are for improvement. Those are yeah, like Yeah, I was thinking play. more of like the St. Louis Chess Club 45 minute lectures about, you know. Yeah, for, they're, they're good, but for some reason I just never watched them, even when I was lower rated. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, okay. Um, I feel like we've covered the major topics. Um, so what do you have coming up in, ter- in terms of tournaments, Finesh? Um, I think some, oh yeah, I was planning to play Concord in, uh, in the mid of January. It was, uh, organized by CCHS. Okay. So, but, yeah. Open. So you're not going to play this big, uh, this big Bay Area Chess International tournament? Uh, no, I signed up a little bit too late for that. Oh, so it was like a f- fixed number of entrants, or uh, yeah, they, especially if you were low rated, they didn't allow too many people, and um, yeah, I just didn't have it in mind, and I'm not really informed, so I don't want to just go there and blow rating. <laughs> right? Huh? Interesting. Um, 
so do you try to ramp up your studies when you mentioned you, you're probably going to play this tournament that is maybe in three weeks? Yeah, um, like usually I only have like 30 minutes a day to practice. But if I know I'm going to play a tournament, I might uh, put some extra time aside for that and maybe study an hour or two a day and I'll start brushing up on openings again too. Okay, yeah, I was going to ask if you start to emphasize openings uh, a bit more. Yeah, as tournaments come, I, I, I look at openings a little bit more just so I'm not totally clueless over the board. Okay. And, and Vanesh, this has come up sort of sporadically throughout our conversation, but um, just to get you fully on the record, what would you say are your absolute favorite chess learning resources that you've come across, like your favorite books of all time? Um, what, what do you think has helped you the most? Um, definitely... Agard books. I I looked. I've done excelling at chess calculation and the grandmaster preparation calculation and positional play for grandmaster chess as well. Wow! So hard work. So th- those were really good books, and that's I forgot to include that. But I read those when I was twenty one hundred, and it helped me get over twenty two. Okay. So excelling at chess, positional play, and what was the third one? It was calculation for in the grandmaster prep series. Okay. And what about your prior 1000 rating points was there anything in like for for a, a lower rated player who might be looking for recommendations? i just had a middle game combinations book i don't know who wrote it but it was just called middle game combinations and any book would work for this just use a board and uh, do the tactics in there i guess and wow the, it, it's so simple <laughs> yeah i mean it's really just getting yourself to do those tactics because it's it's tedious as well you have to set up the position yourself and Compared to like online when it just automatically does everything for you. Huh. Okay. And I'm guessing I know the answer to this based on sort of the results you've had. But in the past few years, have have there been any moments where you you felt like quitting chess or like gave serious thought to it? Uh, No, quitting chess, no. But like taking a break, yeah, plenty of times. Okay. Yeah. I've never had a result that made me go, wow, I really hate chess. Really? Even yeah, like I a- think my, my lowest rating drop was about 20 points, and that tournament wasn't even bad. I just drew a bunch of lower rateds. Oh, man. A lot of people listening are going to hate you now. <laughs> <laughs> no offense. No, I should, they'll appreciate your insight. But yeah, <laughs> that, that's a unique experience, let's say. Yeah. Um, cool. All right. I think we've, we've covered most of the major topics. So tell us, um, tell us what's going on with your life at large. So how many colleges? I mean, you, don't, you can get into as as many or as few specifics as you want, but how's the college process treating you? Well, I've applied to over 20 colleges. Uh, the UCs, the main ones, CSUs. I've done a few top-tier colleges like Northwestern, UIUC, and um, I've, I've gotten a, two acceptances and two rejections already. Okay. But so far, it, it's been okay. And what's your? do you have a chess plan for college? Have you given it much thought? Yeah, I am thinking of applying to a few chess colleges like UT Dallas, Texas Tech, and St. Louis, right? Um, but um, it definitely depends on the other colleges as well, whether I'll go to there or not. And certainly if I go to those colleges, my chess improvement will be a lot more. Okay, but you're thinking no matter where you go, you're going to try to keep it up. Yeah, I'm definitely going to try to keep up chess as much as time permits and it just depends on the college, I guess, so how much chess I actually get to play. Right. I mean, I'm really interested to see how your rating continues to progress because, do, I mean, do do you? I don't know if you have an appreciation for for how 
unusual it is to to make the improvement you have. I mean, it's kind of. I feel like it's a a little bit. Um, it can be jaded by people like Christopher. You you know, like these sort yeah, of um, yeah. <laughs> these sort of just young like jaw dropping superstars, um, prodigies. I guess obviously is is the way to describe them. But I mean what you've done is extremely rare. And despite your uh, denials, I, I think it does suggest either some sort of talent or luck or something in chess. So I, I would, I would hope that you stick with it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll definitely stick with chess. <laughs> then do you have, so FM is your intermediate goal. Have you given thought to sort of longer term goals? Uh, yeah. Even, hopefully eventually GM, but for now FM is the short term goal. Okay. And maybe maybe more if I can. Like um, how, however my rating progresses is how much I'll go till at least college starts. I'm going to keep going. Okay. And do you have a sense of um, what you'll study in college at all? I'm sure you're tired of yeah. Um, ups asking you that. It was but. either like computer science or computer engineering were the majors I applied to. Okay. And do you you have a you? That's what you're interested in. Like yeah, yeah. I, it's I have not an a interest, it's a like, interest rather. Like, sorry, a personal rather than it's not strictly from pragmatism is what i'm trying to say yeah yeah definitely definitely interested but um since i don't know like in depth of any major really it could it could change after my first year we'll have to see okay and just just out of curiosity are there any any particular subjects or um activities that that you do feel like you're naturally um pretty good at well, I really like math. I don't know if I'm naturally good at it, but I, I definitely like math. And partially it's probably because I do play chess and it probably helps. Okay, interesting. Um, what about like languages and music? Have you done anything with those? Uh, music has never been my thing, but uh-huh. um, my my English, like English classes, I'm okay with them, but I wouldn't want to do them really after high school. Okay, and you were so you. Sorry to to circle back to the biography. You were were you born in the U.S. or were you born in India? I was born in the U.S. and then in seventh grade I moved to India for two years and then I came back. Okay, and what so and did you have enough interest in chess when you were in India that you um, could get a sense of like the chess boom there? Well, the thing the thing with where I lived was uh, I lived in Bangalore, which is kind of like the tech hub of India, and that's where we had to live because my dad's work was there since it was a U.S. company just in the Indian branch. So they didn't have very much chess there, and every time I wanted to play a tournament, I couldn't really go to Chennai, which was like five hours away from Bangalore. So it, India is big for chess, but I think it depends on the location as well. Okay. And Vanesh, I think this is my last question. So... When you when you were applying to colleges, like how much of a point of emphasis was was your chess? Um, oh, I, your I wrote chess accomplishments? a few essays about chess, actually. Uh huh. So like, what, chess has been a big part of my life, really, like throughout India as well. Okay, so what was the topic of your essays? So um, basically, in India, I had some other struggles as well with school because. I was, the subjects are different, right? Like you have to take three languages in India compared to only English here until you're actually in high school. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of coping up to do and it was really difficult, but chess, chess honestly helped that. And that was what my essay was about. Okay, cool. Um, well, Vanesh, I, I wish you luck. I mean, I think you're, I think you're going to be just fine <laughs> <laughs> wherever you end up at college and whatever you end up studying. Um, but 
this was a, this was very insightful. Um, I mean, just to summarize for listeners, I think that Vanesh has presented some some very clear bullet points. Um, if I may be so bold as to summarize them, I would say um, don't place a huge emphasis on openings, especially um, you know early on in your chess development, and do tons of tons and tons of tactics. Is there any other sort of um, broad point you would want to highlight before we let you go, Vanesh? No, that's pretty much it. Really, just tactics. Tactics help a lot. Yeah, it, it's amazing. Okay, well, uh, well, Vanesh, um, good luck beating your puzzle rush high score. <laughs> and uh, good luck with your college application process. And uh, yeah, we'll be watching the San Jose Hackers and uh, rooting for you guys. Yeah, thank you. Okay, thanks a lot, Vanesh. Thank you. Thanks to everyone who helps make Perpetual Chess possible. That includes my esteemed producer, Matthew Passy, Geert Vandervelt for supplying the intro music, and Chessable.com for their generous financial support. I also want to thank everyone who helps support the show in little ways. That can be telling a friend about the show, writing something positive about it on social media, or writing a glowing review on Apple Podcasts or another podcast platform. Apparently that stuff really matters. I also want to give special thanks to my PayPal and Patreon Perpetual Partners. As you guys know, I put a lot of time into this show, a lot of research, promotion, actual booking of interviews, doing the interviews. I love the work, but it wouldn't be possible without the generous financial support of the following people. Adam Ralph of ChessEngland.com, Adam Vrancourge, Adrian Gutierrez, Alex Pejas, Ali Morchetti, Brian Mullis. I am Carlos Pardomo of ChessAtlanta.com, Bill Moran, Chad Hilton, Chad Oliver, Chris Balcom, Chris Flanagan, Chris Wainscott, Christopher Chabri, Christopher Wood. I am Christoph Zalecki, a.k.a. Chess Explained, Coach Jay's Chess Academy, Dan O'Hanlon, Daniel Ginsberg, Daniel Lucas, Daniel Naylor, Daniel Schaefer, Daniel Viney, David Cramley, Dwayne Edmonds, Ethan Smith. I am elect Donnie Ariel, Frank Tortoris, Gary Andrews, Gary Lewis, Geert Vandervelt. I am Greg Shahadi, Harish Srinivasan, GM Yaka Bagard of Quality Chess Publishing, James Bonastia, Jason Woolham, Jeff Anderson, Jennifer Valens of OffTheRook.com. Jeffrey Martello, John Fernandez, John Hartman, John Jernigan, Jen Shahadi, Jen Green, Jerry Wells, John Thompson, WGM Katarina Nemsova, Kelly Palmer, I am Kostya Kovutsky, Krishna Kabbalakrishnan, Laura Belyavsky, Leo Delgado, Lorraine Dore, Lucia Silva, Matthew Passi, Macaulay Peterson, Martin Habish, Matthew Tedesco of SeattleChessMeetup.org, my main man Moonmaster9000, Nate Salin, Nathan Webster, GM Pascal Charbonneau, Passy Passanin, Paul Sweeney, Paulo Santana, Peter Lux, Peter Merrifield, Randy Temple, Ricky Grijalva, Rob Lazorchak of DiplomatChess.com, Robert Steiner, Ryan Berg, Ryan Stone, Steiner Lima, Stuart Katz, uh, WGM Tatyav Abrahamian, Thomas Stonix, Thomas Tachenko, Tim Brennan of TacticsTime.com, Tim Seymour, Timothy Ha, Todd Bryant, Tony Rotella, Tyron Price, Victor Vrancourge, FM Zhao Chang of Chess1000.com, and Jivko Stoyanov. Thanks, as always, everyone. I will catch you guys soon. Sports Social Podcast Network. 
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.